Once again, Matthew chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 39. Matthew 5. Genesis 39. All right. Number ones, you ready? Okay, go for it. Man, I love this group. So I heard all this noise by the pool the other night, and I heard the middle school had a belly flop contest. <laughs> I love it. I was busy hitting high schoolers with dodgeballs and spears. That was a great game. I'm taking that back. Why don't we pray? Our Father, thankful again tonight that we can be together. Speak to us and change us. Especially with this topic, Lord. Whether we're student, counselor, Pastor, elder, parent, pray that you would minister to us your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We are more than conquerors. Tonight, maybe a sensitive topic but one that seems to be hidden and should not be hidden in the church. God speaks about it. God deals with it. And God even shows us the right way. If you're taking note, I want you to write it down. Conquering lust. Conquering lust. You see... It's everywhere. It's in our entertainment. It's in our music. It's in our music moves we call dancing. It's in our movies. It's in our TV shows. It's in our marketing and our advertisements. Every commercial deals with some form of lust be it sexual or overeating, something to attract us to buy that product. Because if you buy this, you will look as good as she does. You will be as buffed as he is. Lust. You could go on your social media, your Instagram, your Snapchat, you could be scrolling down your newsfeed on Facebook and a picture is there that could be inappropriate. A website could pop up that leads you into a place. Listen, 
Movies like Little Mermaid, Lion King, The Rescuers. Disney has infiltrated with all kinds of innuendos to attract your attention. Some things that are clearly visible and some things that are hidden within the picture. Disney. You see, not only is it all around us, it's also, unfortunately, within us. It's a human condition. It's something that we, as human beings, struggle with. Lorne Sandy, the director of The Navigators, for over 30 years, he was interviewing an 87-year-old missionary. And he asked the missionary, he said this, tell me when you got victory over lust. And the 87-year-old looked at him and said, well, Lorne, it hasn't happened yet. Because it's a human condition. It's not just in this culture, it's in every culture. So vital is this particular topic. Jesus was not afraid of it. Jesus communicated about it. Jesus talked about it. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, it's the second topic that he brings up when he's discussing exceeding righteousness. Look with me, it's Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You've heard that it was said to those of old... You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. You see, Jesus is making it very clear we have to deal with this issue of lust because it has the potential to destroy you. I was reading a story about a fella and him and his wife were out at the mall and they were shopping. And they were at a booth, and his wife was looking through all these kinds of cell phone uh, things that you can put on your phone, the protectors. What is it? Yes. Cases. Sorry, English word that's very difficult for me. And all of a sudden, this beautiful woman goes walking by, and she's got a very, well, form-fitting dress on. And the husband looks up, and he watches the woman as she walks by. And... The wife doesn't move, continue to look through the cases, just keep going. And as the woman passed, she said this, was it worth the trouble that you're now in? (laughs) Jesus is not afraid because he knows the trouble That this issue within our heart can bring us lust. See, he says it's better that you cut off, pluck out your eye and cut off your hand instead of allowing this particular issue to destroy you. You know, there's a way that you can hunt a wolf. Eskimos have come up with a very incredible way if you have a wolf issue 
in the Antarctic. You see, what the Eskimo will do is he'll take his blade and he'll coat it with animal's blood and freeze it. And then he will dip it in animal's blood again and freeze it again. And basically, he'll make a blood popsicle. And then he'll put that knife in the ground with a little bit of blood around it. And the wolf will smell with his incredible senses. He'll smell that blood and he'll come to that knife. And then he'll start licking that knife. And the insatiable urge that he has to be satisfied because he lusts after this blood... He will continue to lick and continue to lick until the blade is revealed. But he's so desiring of this blood that he continues to lick until he cuts his own mouth. And now he's licking and licking and licking and he's bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. But the blood that he is eating is his own. Until the next morning, that wolf will be found dead next to that knife. Because of the insatiable urge that it has to be satisfied. You see, lust, it's not a biological condition. If it was a biological condition, it would be like drinking water. When you're thirsty, you would be drink and you would be satisfied. But no, lust is a fleshly condition. It's an issue of the heart. In fact, the more we satisfy our lustful heart, the more it will want to be satisfied. Lust. Thomas Costain, a famous historian, he wrote a story about three Edwards. It was about a royal family in what is now known as Belgium, 14th century AD. And he wrote a story, and it had two brothers in it. One was by the name of Renald, and the other brother's name was Edward. Well, Renald was incredibly overweight. In fact, he had a nickname in Latin. It was crassus, which means fat. Edward and Renald got into an argument. Edward revolted against Renald's reign. Him and his entire uh, uh, family were turned upside down, and Edward decided not to kill Renald. What he decided to do was put him in the middle of a room, and in the middle of a, a section, and build a room around him with windows and with a door. But the door was made just a little bit small, and the windows were made just a little bit small. And he told Renald, you are welcome to come out when you can fit through that door. And go through those windows. But Edward was very smart and he knew his brother's lust. And every day, Edward, he would deliver the finest of delicacies to Renald in that room. And over the course of ten years, true story. Over the course of ten years, instead of losing weight to go out the door, he got fatter. And was stuck as a prisoner in the room. Accused of mistreating his family, the people came to Edward and said, How can you do this to your older brother? How could you make him a prisoner? And Edward responded, he said, He's not a prisoner. He can leave whenever he wills. But Renald was not released until his brother died ten years later. And when he was released, he was so overweight from the finest of delicacies that Belgium had to offer, he died of bad health less than a year later. Can you imagine you've got freedom? All you have to do is kind of fit through a door. Maybe just lose 50 pounds. 
But no, he was so desiring the delicacies of the kingdom, he would rather be a prisoner in this room than be released and get out. Edward knew his condition. Well, what are today's delicacies? What keeps students like you locked in the room? What keeps students like you from coming out and being and living in freedom? What keeps you locked in? What are your lusts? Well, I think one of the biggest concerns that we as Christians have, oftentimes as parents have, are the relationships that you have. It's the questions of how far is too far. It's the question of, does she like me? You're in fifth grade. (laughs) Who cares? My son was down. uh, My son, he had to get his passport. He's going to Africa with me next week, and he had to get his passport. So he had to drive all the way to San Diego. And they told him the passport would not be ready till 3 o'clock. So he looked at my wife, and he says, that's not good enough. We've got to get back. Now he's making a scene. And Andre goes, why do we have to get back? Don't you know? It's Mela's birthday today. Well, son, who is Mela? She, well, she's no one that important, but I have to get there for her birthday. Well, why do you have to get there? Oh, mom, I just have to get there. We can't wait here for this passport. She likes me, and I like her. So I got a text message yesterday. I have a real problem here. Tymon, at 11 years old in fifth grade, is freaking out because he needs to get to his quote-unquote girlfriend's house. So I called Tymon. Son, you don't have a girlfriend. You won't have a girlfriend until you're 25. (laughs) Dad, but she might. I don't give a rip. You don't have a girlfriend. There is no girlfriend. There is no, she likes me. I like her. We're not going into all of that drama. He goes, we're already in it. (laughs) I go, we are not in any kind of drama. Dad, do something. Get this passport for me. And I'm listening to him thinking about this Bible study going, oh God, help me. But I love God because he has helped us. He even gave us an entire book that deals with how we can have relationships instead of being in lust. He communicates to us how we can be in love. Listen, it's Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Now, I told you our Bible study would be a little PG-13. But it's in the Bible. It's Song of Solomon, chapter 1. This story, this drama, this poetic book is about a boyfriend and a girlfriend that become a husband and a wife. And we get exposed to this drama, and we get to read about it, and we get to watch it. This guy is unbelievable. He's a gentleman. He's chivalrous. He actually opens the door for the lady. I've been overwhelmed, gentlemen, at how many of you go through the door and let the door smack the girl right in the face. Now, ladies, there's a reason why they do that. Because when we open the door for you, this is what you say in your mind. I knew he liked me. I knew it. He's been looking at me the entire camp. And, and then you go to your little cabin group. He opened the door for me. Oh. Oh. He's 
he's just so handsome. I saw him playing ultimate frisbee the other day. He just jumped right up in the ground. He just, oh, it's just so wonderful. Can we pray for him? His name is David. You know, it's like. Is there a David in the room? You may have it. Yeah, you may have issues. All right, now here's the deal. And all of a sudden, in your mind, you have picked out your wedding dress when all he did was open the door. In fact, listen, he don't know your name. And the next day, there he is. And you run to the door, hoping, once again, he'll open it because that's the expression of his love to you, so convinced by you in the soap opera you've made up in your mind. Well, he goes right through the door and the cabin group that night. <laughs> he dropped me. He dumped me. We're not even together anymore. You were never together in the first place. All he did was open the door. But gentlemen, it doesn't give you an excuse not to be chivalrous. This guy was unbelievable. He loved this woman in a way that was absolutely right. So right, they decide to go out on a date. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, look at verse 12. This date, while the king is at his table. Now let me tell you something. What I love about this dating thing that they are about to go on. The king is at his, his table. Now let me tell you something. They killed four bulls every night for the table of Solomon. In other words, it wasn't just him and her. They were with all of his friends. You see... I don't let my kids date because I believe that dating is dangerous. In fact, it worked out perfect for me and my daughters. There was a young man who decided to come out to, come out to my house unannounced to visit my daughter, Abigail. She was a uh, sophomore in high school, and I had gone skeet shooting that particular day with a double-barrel shotgun. <laughs> True story. And I had come home He comes knocking at the door, and I am cleaning my double-barrel shotgun. So I'm in the room cleaning it. He knocks on the door, and I thought, what a great opportunity. (laughs) So I walk outside of my room. I walk by the front door, and as I'm walking by the front door, I got my shotgun like this, and I go, hello. And I keep walking. Not one other boy from her high school ever came to our house again. True story. To this day, she resents me. She goes, Dad, you ruined my high school experience. You have no idea how I saved you. Another young man, he invited my daughter just this past, uh, just two months ago. Two months ago, he had the nerve to invite my 16-year-old daughter to a dance without talking to me. What nerve? What was he thinking? So he came to my Monday night Bible study because he heard the rumor I was not going to let her go because she did this. Well, he comes up to me and he goes, Mr. Lowe, Um, I'd like to talk to you about something. And I go, you would? Shake my hand. Shakes my hand. And I hold onto his hand and I bring him closer. And I say, what would you like to talk to me about? He starts sweating. My daughter is standing right here. She starts crying. My other daughter is on the other side of him going, Dad. And I'm like, (laughs) And he goes, well, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, Mr. Lowe, I, I, I'd like to invite <clears throat> um, Elia to the dance. I go, it seems to me that you already have invited Elia to the dance without talking to me first. <clears throat> 
he was about to throw up. And I didn't move. I'm holding him close. And then I bust out laughing. And he backs away. He takes his jacket off. He goes, Mr. Lowe, you almost killed me. And I looked at him and I go, were you afraid? He goes, yes. I go, go tell your friends. Because I'm trying to ruin her high school experience as well. Listen, dating is dangerous. Let me tell you why dating is dangerous. Because all day, let me tell you what happens. The guy, he cleans the car. The guy, he takes a bath. He actually bathes. He fixes his hair. He takes axe, body spray. Just puts it all over him. She, she paints her nails. She paints her toe. Why do we attract attention to our feet? It's the ugliest thing in our body. And girls put nail polish all down there. Look at Who's looking? It's not like us guys look at the feet and go, wow, she's pretty. You know? And then she takes hours for her hair. She fixes it one place. She goes out to her friends. She goes on FaceTime. What do you think? Oh, sweetie, look at the top. Oh, I got to do it again. Go back to the chair. Comes back again. Goes FaceTime. What do you think? Then she puts on one dress. She puts on another dress. She puts on jeans. She puts on shorts. And then she goes to her mother. I have nothing to wear. You have a closet full of clothes. And all day long, you're getting worked up. And she takes Jador. We'll hear it. We'll hear She gets in the car. He knocks on the door. She goes and gets in the car. The dad's looking like this. Take a look what happens. While the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. Spikenard is a jador. It's a, it's a perfume. You see, here's what she's doing. Hey, Solomon, would you pass the potatoes? Would you give me some meat? And she's just throwing her perfume at the table. And let me tell you what a guy, when he starts smelling that perfume, he goes, just like that. He's driving him crazy. And she's throwing her spikenard all over the place. Thank God they are with friends. A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts. Go ahead and laugh. Listen, there's not a lot of water in Israel. And so what the ladies would do is they would, you know those little potpourri pillows? You put them in your drawers, and when you open the drawer, the smell comes out. Like, ah, so sweet. I don't know why you do that, okay? Tide works just as well. Just wash your clothes in Tide. You don't need a little potpourri pillow, okay? Well, what they would do is they would wear myrrh, a very fragrant, very, very fragrant uh, perfume. And they would wear it right here all night long. So then when they woke up, they would smell like this perfume. And what she's saying is, my beloved is on my heart. So let's say that David's last name is Smith. And your name is Becky. And all of a sudden, on your papers at school, it's turned from, let's say your last name is Becky Lane. Your name is now Becky Smith. And you're now signing your signature, Becky Smith. Smith. And then he calls on your cell phone or he texts, and you're just doodling Smith. Smith. 
You're doodling Smith all over Smith. Smith and your little heart, Becky and David. L O. You know, it's like all over the place, and you got a little arrow through it. Now you got a little Cupid behind it. And before you get off the phone, you have drawn an entire picture because he's in your heart. And gentlemen, that's what ladies do. They let you into the heart. My beloved to me is a cluster of henna blooms in the vineyards of Engedi. In other words, he's making me come alive. He makes me feel good. They're still on this date. And he says to her, behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. Now listen, gentlemen, I don't know if that'll work in the 21st century. You don't want to look at a girl and go, you are so beautiful, you look like a dove. (laughs) It's not going to go over well. What she's, he's saying is this. You are so beautiful. You give me so much peace when I look at you. I feel so great when I see you. And he is just romancing this girl. He's getting into her heart. And she says to him, look at her response. Behold, you are handsome, my beloved. Yes, pleasant. And she goes, you know what? Let's leave the table and let you and I go for a walk. First date. Let's go for a walk. You and me. It's be so much fun. It'd be like the slip and slide, you know? Remember? <laughs> Woo, fall down. Woo, climb up. <laughs> and all she wants to do is hold his hand and go for a walk. And her heart starts doing this thing. And she's going up. She's like, let's go for a walk and take a look what happens. The beams of our, our bed is green. Uh-oh. The beams of our houses are cedar. Our rafters are fir. She whispers to herself, I'm the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. I feel like a million dollars right now. I'm walking with my man. And I say to him, how about we sit down right here? Just you and me right here in the woods. It's so romantic. (laughs) (laughs) And he says to her, take a look. Like a lily among the thorns, so is my beloved among the daughters. In other words, you are the most beautiful woman in the world. And she responds and looks in his eyes and says, like an apple tree among the tree of the woods. In other, there are no apple trees in the woods. And what she's saying is, you're like the only man in the world. So is my beloved among the sons. I sat down in his shade Uh-oh. with great delight and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Let me tell you what happened. Look at me. What? Look, look, look. You're like a dove. Well, you're so handsome. You're like a lily of the valley. You're like an apple tree in the woods. Notice the foot pop. <laughs> she couldn't take it anymore. And she just went like this. You're like a... And her lips just kind of go out there. And she gives him a kiss. What's she doing? Sitting in the woods kissing him. All by themselves. He brought me, uh uh-oh, here we go. Remember I told you PG-13. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with cakes of raisins. Refresh me with apples for I'm lovesick. In other words, she's saying, I'll kiss you again. (laughs) And he goes, okay. (laughs) Whatever you'd like to do, you know. You look like a dove. (laughs)
His left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. Somebody scream, danger. Do you see why I don't like dating? They started out right. And now all of a sudden, a brief little walk in the woods, we got this thing going on. Look at verse 6. Now, gentlemen, 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 take a look at verse 6. His left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. What are you doing? Why did you put your left hand and your right hand? Why did you take the move? It's like at the movie theater. It's like sitting in the car. (sighs) (laughs) Gentlemen, gentlemen, what are you doing? And take a look what take a look at what he does. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir or awaken love until it pleases. Someone say, Praise God. Praise God. No, a little bit louder. Someone say, Praise God. Praise God. Okay, now I'm gonna do this, and I want you to go danger. Ready? Danger. Now I'm gonna do this, and I want you to go praise God, okay? So here we go. Ready? This one? Okay, ready? Here we go. Why do I only hear the women? Because the guys are going, praise God, danger. You got it all wrong. Okay, so all together, all together, ready? Here we go. I still don't hear the men. One more time, ready? Our guy hits the spiritual bat and he gets up and he goes, What in the world am I doing? What integrity? What self control? He realized, I'm making a mistake. I can't do this. And he backs off. You see, God is not afraid about talking about this issue. And he says, don't awaken love. Because it really isn't love at that point. It's lust. Well, then you say, okay, Chet, how? I'm a young man. I'm a young woman. And there's a really good-looking young guy here at this camp. He's godly. He prays. He's beautiful. I was on the slip and slide yesterday with him. Turn with me to Genesis 39. Genesis 39. 
Joseph was more than a conqueror. Let me explain. Joseph, the favored son, we talked about him yet last night. He was sold into slavery by his brothers because they were jealous. And then, falsely accused, he was put into prison. But when he was sold into slavery, he was more than a conqueror. And Joseph served Potiphar and he became a successful overseer as a slave. He wasn't delivered from slavery. He was more than a conqueror and he became a successful overseer. As a prisoner, falsely accused, he served the jailer. And the Bible says he became prosperous and they gave him authority. But this false accusation is what I want to discuss. You see, Joseph, the Bible says, was a very good-looking young man. He's the kind of guy you want to go on the slip and slide with. He's a very good-looking young man. Take a look, Genesis 39, verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. Okay, ready, ready, ready. Why do I not hear the men? Okay, one more time, one more time. I still don't hear you. Lie with me. Let, let me tell you something. Stay with me, stay with me, you guys. Listen up. Lust is a lie. It can never satisfy you. And she was lusting after Joseph with longing eyes. You can lust after a woman. You can lust after a man. You can lust after food. You can lust after an F-150 truck. You can lust after anything that you don't have that you want to be yours. Lust. She says, lie with me because it is a lie. Look at Joseph are more than a conqueror. Look at his response. Look how he conquered lust. It's seven things. We're going to go through them real quickly. Take a look. Number one, I want you to write it down. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. Number one, you want to conquer lust? Be content with the things that you have. When you practice contentment, you will not covet things that you don't have. Be content. Paul says, I've learned to be content in all situations. Whether I'm abounding, I got a lot of money, or whether I'm poor as a church mouse, I have learned to be content. Listen, tonight I'm going to be sleeping in an air-conditioned, incredible room with carpet and a mattress and a blankie. Next week, I'll be sleeping in a hut on a dirt floor with a rat that will try to steal my clothes and take it outside in the middle of the night. I have learned. Listen to what Paul says. I have learned to be content. Because contentment is not natural. It is supernatural. And you've got to practice contentment with the things that you have now. Do you really need another pair of shoes? Do you... <laughs> How many clothes or jeans do you actually have to have? Think of your closet right now. Practice 
contentment. Number two. Number two, take a look at verse 9. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Number two, if you're taking note, know your boundaries. He says, look, there's no one greater in this house. Your husband doesn't know anything that belongs to him. I know my job. I know my responsibility. Know your boundaries. Some of you will ask the question, how far is too far? Holding hands might be too far for you. You've got to know what you are able to handle. And you need to talk with your parents and your counselors and your mentors on what is right and just for you. That's right. Listen to what I said. You need to talk with your parents. We've had this struggle. We have a little wisdom. I know it says moron across my forehead. But the truth of the matter is, every parent wants their child to be successful. Now maybe it's a spiritual parent and not a biological parent. But you need to involve people that are older than you to help you navigate and know what your boundaries are. My children are home at 11.30. And then when they turned a certain age, they were home at 12. And then they turned a certain age, 18, 19, I allowed them to come home at 1. Because boundaries are healthy. Listen to what Jesus says. If you love me, keep my commandments. He says, love is displayed in boundaries. It has parameters. Number three, you're taking note. Practice God's presence. He says this. Practice God's presence. He goes, this isn't a sin against you if I do this. This is a sin against God. So what I want you to imagine, it's you and your boyfriend and Jesus sitting right in the middle of you. Just smiling at both of you. How you doing? Stop your heart, little girl. It's going beaten way too fast. Okay, brother, maybe you need to walk out, go take some breath. And I just want you to, you know what? And if Jesus just isn't so tangible for you, imagine my face in the car with you. (laughs) Just imagine, gentlemen, me looking at you going, hey, guys, what are you doing? (laughs) Practice the presence of God in your life. Practice the presence of God in the secret places of your home. Practice the presence of God in your bathrooms. Practice the presence of God in your bedrooms. Practice the presence of God wherever you find yourself alone so that you will be able to be self-controlled when you need to be. Number four, take a look what happens. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Hey, Joseph. Next day. Jojo. Joey. Joe. (laughs) JJ. (laughs) Every day he would walk in and this woman would come at him. I remember when, and I said, let's do this. Let's go out to where the waves are crashing on the shore and let's stand there and hold ourselves and let's see if we can stand against these waves. So we all stood there, and I took time, and I took my little, he was only four years old at the time, and I was taking him down to the beach, and my wife grabbed the back of his pants, and he goes, you ain't taking this one. <laughs> grabbed him back. Well, me and the other kids, we go, and we stand, and here comes this wave, and it's like up here on us. And all of a sudden, this wave comes, I'm like, hold on! The wind's like blowing 75 miles an hour, and I'm like, hold on! And the wave comes, and all you see is like feet everywhere. 
Well, we make our way back out because it was wave after wave after wave and we eventually got tired. Well, I'm exhausted and we keep doing this thing. My kids want to go back and go back and go back. Well, finally, one particular time, I was in the back and they were already at the wave. And I'm going to let you be me and I'm going to be my kids. All of a sudden, this wave, and I promise it was like five feet over their head. All of a sudden, this wave comes up like this. And I see my kids. Now, I'm my kids and you're me. I see my kids and they're like this. They're like doing this thing. And then all of a sudden, it was like slow-mo. All of a sudden, I see this with this huge wave. And all of a sudden, the wave comes. And then I see feet and heads and hands and everything. I go, what happened to standing firm? Because let me tell you something, your whole life, temptation will never give you a break. It will come at you wave after wave, and you're going to have to, number four, purpose to stand. Take a look at verse 11. But it happened about this time when Jojo went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside. But she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Number five, if you're taking note, Joseph made a mistake. He went into the house when no one was there. Number five, number five, get accountable. Get accountable. Have a friend that you can talk to. Have a friend that you can confess to. Have a friend that you can pray with. Have a friend that will hold you accountable. Have a friend that will help you develop a standard. All through high school, my best friend, Kenny Ingalls, he's now a youth pastor in Tennessee, we held ourselves accountable that we were going to hold boundaries and that we were not going to give in to temptation. And we prayed together and we talked about our strengths and we talked about our failures. Get accountable with a group of friends that have the same heart. Don't go at this alone. And he goes in alone, and I want you to see what he does. She grabs him, and she, he runs away. The only thing that you can do, number six, when you are tempted, run away from temptation. Okay, look at me. Number six, run away from temptation. All right, ready? Here we go. Don't think you can handle it. Don't think that you can make it through. That's the devil's lie. He wants to convince you you're the only one in the world strong enough to make it through this. Get out. Run away. Number seven. This is the hard one. And so it was when she saw that he left his garment in her hand and fled outside. She called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, See? He's brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. Someone's a liar. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled when went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master had come home, and she spoke to him with words like this. The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in here to mock me. She's a liar. Number seven, expect ridicule for righteousness. When I was in college, 
I was in a suite. It was me and four other guys. I was a swimmer on swimming scholarship through school. And I had to live in the dorms because all the swimmers had to live in a certain place. And all of my suite mates, they put up posters everywhere of things that guys don't need to look at. And I went to my suite mates and I said, you guys, we, we got to take this down. I, I can't live here, eat here. I, I'm a Christian. And I've made a commitment and a covenant with God with my eyes that I'm not going to look at these things. They've got to come down. The rest of that year, I was rejected and ridiculed by every guy on my swim team. Now, let me tell you about their lives right now. Most of them have been divorced. Most of them have two or three wives and children from different places. I have one wife that I've been faithful to. That I was able to look at her and say, on our wedding day, I have saved myself for you and you alone. Now listen, not for applause. But I know the wrestles that I've gone through. And I'm a human being just like you. And I know the wrestles that you're going to go through. Joseph, more than a conqueror, you follow these seven things, watch what God's going to do. Now listen, I'm going to invite the worship band up. And we're gonna, we've been practicing something every single night. And tonight we're going to practice something a little bit different. And here's what I want you to do. They're going to just lead in one song. I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes. Listen to me if you would, please. If you're a guy, find a guy friend. Don't go find a girl. If you're a girl, find a girlfriend. One on one. Not three. Find your friend, one friend, and don't no one be hurt. Like, oh, she picked her, not me. Don't do that. Just find a friend. Don't be so immature. Find a friend, and I want you to pray together. I want you to pray for your purity. I want you to pray for your integrity. I want you to pray that the Lord would deliver you from temptation. I want you to pray together. If you can't find someone, the counselors are in the back, and you can pray with them. But just turn right where you are. You're probably sitting next to a friend now anyway. And you might go, well, wait a second. You want me to pray out loud? Yes. And here's the deal. If you don't want to pray... 
why don't the other person love you enough and either pray for you or ask you, would you like to know Jesus as your Savior? Why not be bold enough at a Christian camp right now to lead someone to Jesus? It's simple. All you do is pray with them and say, Jesus, please forgive me my sin. I believe you're the Son of God. Come into my heart. Amen. It's really difficult. So I want you right now, find a friend, pray together, 